you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. When the Iron Lady sings, that means the show is officially on. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys being part of the show. As always, we are the most amazing people on the show. show. The CEOs, the billionaires, the White House advisors, the presidential folks, the... What else do we have on the show? We have the, the Pulitzer Prize winning, the authors who write the most amazing novels and stories, everything you can ever imagine. When it comes to stories, we call them the owner's manual to life. And so we're... The Chris Moss Show is a giant story collector, if you will. <laughs> we collect all these amazing stories and have the most amazing guests. We have another one on today. We'll be talking to him about his hottest new book that comes out January 16th, 2024. In the meantime, we just ask for you to go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, Chris Foss One on the LinkedIn or Tickety Talkity and Chris Foss Facebook.com and refer to the show to your family, friends, and relatives. See, that was an easy, a painless, or painful, painless, painless, painful. I don't know. It's Tuesday, folks. He is the author of the latest, newest book to come out, Searching for Patty Hearst, a true crime novel. Roger D. Rappaport's on the show with us today. He'll be talking to us about his amazing work that he has been focusing on for 50 years. And he originally covered the Patty Hearst case in 1974 through 75. He wrote a book with her fiance, Steve Weed, that was never published. Weed got cold feet about sharing intimate details of their love story that began when she was his 16-year-old student at the private high school where he taught. He did the first long interview with her kidnapper, Bill Harris, after he was released from prison, as well as the Los Angeles coroner who autopsied the six symbian Lebanese. Am I saying that right? Liberation Army. Symbianese? I don't know. Lebanese Liberation Army. Correct. All right. I want to make sure. There's a camera in front of me. Hearst captors who died in a firefight with the LAPD. A relative, Mark Brandler, was the judge in the trial where Patty Hearst pled guilty to joining the kidnapping of a 17-year-old high school student. He's the author of many books, three award-winning feature films, and a journalist whose work has appeared in the Los Angeles Times, San Francisco Chronicle, and The Atlantic. And he's with us today for an exclusive interview on his book, Searching for Patty Hearst, being published today. Welcome to the show. How are you, Roger? I'm great. Today is the publication date of the book, so the timing is pretty good, Chris. Yes. Nice to start at the top, and uh, I'm happy to be here. We're honored to have you as well. And uh, give us your dot-coms. Where do you want people to look you up on the interwebs? Pattyhurst.com is the publisher's website. For those members of the audience who know just a little bit about Patty and would like to know more. There's a great timeline that my publisher, James Sparling, did, and also a hilarious piece he did on the AI covers that didn't make the cut. You'll, you'll really enjoy it. It's, it's really a funny, funny take on book covers that AI thought might work and didn't. There you go. So give us a 30,000 overview, and you may need to give us a little bit of foundation for maybe people that are older, younger than 50 years that need to remember what the story was. February 4th, 1974 was the day that 
the night that Patty Hearst was kidnapped. And believe it or not, this is, this is a great story, Chris. They actually blacked out the biggest story probably in the world for some hours to give the FBI a head start on what would become one of the largest manhunts in bureau history. Mm -hmm. Patty Hearst was kidnapped by a, a group that was very little known called the Simonese Liberation Army, mm -hmm. uh, led by Donald DeFries. Most of the members of the group uh, were white radicals. DeFries was an escaped black convict. Two of their members were already in jail for assassinating the alleged, allegedly assassinating the superintendent of the Oakland schools in the fall of 1973. And when Patty was kidnapped, her fiance, Steve Weed, was badly beaten but escaped. Mm -hmm. uh, and it became, uh, if, if you can believe this, it actually, the story get, became so big, the hunt for Patty Hearst, that it actually knocked the Watergate scandal off the front page. Oh, wow. That was what it was going full steam, I'm sure. Now, why, why, who is Patty Hearst for those who don't understand why it was important that she was kidnapped? And, and just to give you a snapshot, the Hearst Corporation, which was founded by William Randolph Hearst, mm -hmm. uh, the newspaper uh, titan who built a castle in San Simeon, mm -hmm. was she was the granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst. Her, her father was chairman of the company running the San Francisco Examiner. And at the time she was kidnapped, the SLA was broke, and they were looking for a high-profile victim that would inspire similar actions around the country. And they showed Patty. And they picked her off the pages of the San Francisco Chronicle when they saw her engagement photo with Steve Weed. And uh -huh. not only would the hearse rapidly ransom her and give them the money they needed mm -hmm. to resupply, they were very well armed but they were broke, hijacking cars and, you know, basically stealing everything they could get their hands on. There uh, you go. Scraping by. And also they figured they would get the front page automatically mm -hmm. because this was a celebrity kidnapping. And remember, the Hearst Empire didn't just happen. Her grandfather figured out that the so-called damsel in distress, particularly a young white woman, was a true circulation miracle. And in one case, the Hearst empire even sent a reporter to cuba to liberate a young woman from jail and then brought her home and wrote a story about it and oh. that was how the hearst empire you know just knocked off the competition pretty much mm -hmm. all over the country those kinds of stories wow and now here the tables, tables were turned chris the tables are turned as it were now there was a lot of this stuff going on in the early 70s right a lot of revolutionary anti-government sort of stuff oh sure that? you had the weathermen and there were a lot of bombings going on of mm -hmm. course the kidnapping was terribly frightening to the Hearst family because guess what it's a big family and they were worried that there might be another attempt to hurt the family mm -hmm. so on the advice of the FBI governor Reagan the attorney general and hostage consultants including by the way FBI agents that, that were bunking in the Hearst house actually living with them and of course Steve Weed after he got out of the hospital was there they decided to not ransom Patty big mistake. Wow. Um, what happened was Patty decided after the, believe it or not, her kidnappers gave her a gun when she told him she was going to stay and fight. They believed in her. And she went public in a communique on April Fool's Day saying, look, you know, if my family's not going to ransom me. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to stick around because guess what? She didn't feel safe just walking uh, because the FBI and the police were pretty well armed. So the first thing they did, because again, 
they were still broke because they didn't get that $4 million ransom. They went out and robbed a bank, not just any bank. They robbed the bank owned by the father of one of her childhood friends, Trish Tobin. Wow. And so now she was a wanted criminal with her wanted poster up on every post office a billboard in the country. So overnight, she got, went from the situation where people were making charitable donations to the billion dollar Hearst Corporation to try to pay for her ransom, which didn't happen, to one of the most wanted criminals in the country and yeah. the subject of a huge manhunt. And to make it even worse, when they fled to Los Angeles after the bank robbery, they made a little mistake, actually a pretty big mistake, and the LA police tracked down six of the kidnappers, including their leader, Donald DeFries, and in the biggest firefight on American soil ever, 9,000 rounds, they exterminated six of the eight captors. Fortunately, Patty had gone shopping with two of the other members, Bill Harris, her actual kidnapper, the guy wow. who physically put her in a trunk in Berkeley. And now she was really reluctant to turn herself in because she'd seen exactly how the LAPD and the FBI handled these fugitives. Yeah, that's crazy. And and she became infamously the poster child for what people call the Stockholm syndrome. Right. And the story actually gets a little worse from Patty's lawyer's point of view, because during this time in LA, while they were shopping, uh, Bill Harris decided to shoplift and was being tackled by security guards. Fortunately, Patty was in a van across the street, had two automatic weapons and fired off about 30 rounds, liberated Bill, but there was a problem. The van was hot, so they had to basically carjack another vehicle. They pretended that they were shopping for a car, and a high school kid took him for a mm -hmm. test drive. His name was Tom Matthews, and they kidnapped him. So Patty suddenly was now <laughs> a kidnapper and a bank robber. And to make it even worse, after they fled to the east and lived in Pennsylvania, and they lived in New York, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they lived on a farm, they went skinny dipping, they kind of hid out, they worked on their plans, they were still broke. They decided to come back west, another big mistake. They went to Sacramento, and in a bank robbery there, where Patty was the getaway car driver, they accidentally shot a woman bringing in a church collection to that bank, and she died. And the, now she was, there were three cases going on. So that really gave her lawyer, F. Lee Bailey, a, a really a, a tough case. Got that murder one. This is what happens when rich girls go bad. No, I'm just kidding. You can see that on Lifetime TV, rich girls go bad. No, and always be nice to your family because they might not pay your ransom. Make sure they like you. So the one of the interesting stories I found about this is how you played into the story 50 years ago. Tell us how you got entwined in this. Well, I, at the time, I was writing for a magazine called New Times, so I covered it for them. Mm -hmm. I lived in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, my wife knew a teacher who had worked with Steve Weed and mm -hmm. introduced me to him. And I wrote an article about him talking about his search for Patty Hearst. You realize that they were living at his place. She was coming over every night, supposedly for math tutoring. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. And by the way, Steve knew this pretty family pretty well. He had actually flunked her sister in math. So it was kind of a family joke. But anyway, <laughs> Patty fell in, in love with him. Mm -hmm. And then they eventually wound up moving in together at Berkeley where she was going to school and he was a, a philosophy PhD. Mm -hmm. uh, but that relationship began uh, when she was 16. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed Steve and he told me their story. And then we ended up writing a book together. So yeah. he moved into my house. Well, at what point in the story does he move into your house? When, where are we at with this? So while they were searching for Patty, okay, 
he was doing his best to find her. And by the way, a little wrinkle in the story, Patty decided that she wasn't going to come back to Steve. The wedding that they were planning for June was off. Wow. Uh, and she basically said, she kind of accused him of being a gold digger, you know, <laughs> she paid the rent, you know, she did all the shopping, she did all the cooking, and he mm -hmm. just kind of hung out with his friends. And she just said, you know, I, I decided, and actually, she had been talking about breaking off the engagement, thinking about it. And, and she'd actually, the week of the kidnapping, she told both later, later told both the prison psychiatrist and remember Tom Matthews, the kid she kidnapped. Mm -hmm. She told both of them that she'd had dreams that she was going to be kidnapped. So you, you can, mm -hmm. you can think about why she was dreaming of this. She was sitting in class one day and started dreaming that just a daydreaming that having this fear that she was going to get kidnapped. So Steve mm -hmm. and I wrote this book mm -hmm. and what I didn't know at the time was I would give him a chapter and then he'd go home and rewrite it. Not, of course, not tell me about it. And then when I basically was done with the book, we had a big advance from Ballantyne. Mm -hmm. He announced that the book was a little too personal, you know, even though that's what the publisher wanted. I yeah. mean, he'd been a drug dealer at Princeton. You know, they did thing, things like he would steal exams from the geometry teacher's file cabinet and give them to her so she could pass in geometry. Spent three hours tutoring her on all the questions so she could pass this exam. And of course, she only got an 80 in the course. So he didn't want those kinds of details in the book because guess yeah. what? He was hoping that when she came back, the fact that she had declared in the communique that she was dumping him and running off with one of the oh. kidnappers, Willie Wolf, who unfortunately died in that LAPD firefight. Mm. Uh, so her personal life got pretty complicated. Was he worried that maybe the 16-year-old thing might be a thing, too, to, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it I obviously, know. in today's world, that would be treated much differently than it was. Yeah. But she would say things to him like, I hope my parents die in a plane crash. And that was in the book, you know. Oh, wow. Stuff like that. And, of course, he was a drug dealer at Princeton. He mm -hmm. would fly cross-country, get your weed from weed. So this was starting <laughs> to get a little, you know, dropping acid, uh. stuff like that, you know. And obviously, you know, he he was in love with being a Hearst. He had he still had some of the rugs which he brought over to my he brought over for safekeeping, things like uh -huh. that, you know, family heirlooms, things like that. They were getting a deep discount on family heirlooms that were being kind of auctioned off at a ninety percent discount to family members. So this story falls like right in your lap. You're living down the block from your your you write this book. The guys crash in your place. You get the advance. You you got the story. So how did what what's parlayed over the last fifty years with this book or potential book? Is well, is the book that you're releasing now? How does that play into it all? So Steve did go ahead and did his own version of the book and published it. Uh, and actually, believe it or not, the PR campaign opening day for the book was just before Patty went on trial for bank robbery in mm -hmm. San Francisco, that, and he was doing a round of press conferences. So obviously, that didn't exactly endear him to the Hearst family. Meanwhile, I was able, as an Oakland Tribune reporter, to get Bill Harris, after he was paroled, the kidnapper, mm -hmm. uh, to give me a long interview about Patty. And, and they, they were stunned. They, they thought the Hearst would write them a check for $4 million. They'd have a big bank account. That, you know, they could go to Cuba. They could do whatever they wanted. But yeah. the main thing is they would show the world how revolutionaries 
can really get the job done. And Patty just seemed like the perfect target, you know, mm -hmm. kidnapper one day, get the, get the check money, you know, I mean, today the Hearst family is a $21 billion fam family. Just to give you an idea, wow. Randy, her father, the, the guy who decided on the advice of all his consultants not to pay the $4 million ransom, <laughs> you know, with consulting with his family, when he died, his estate was $1.5 billion. Wow. So obviously Patty was a little hurt by that. You know, she kind of felt, <laughs> oh my goodness, you know. She should have um, given better gifts at Christmas. Right, right. She said, the one thing that I've learned is that the corporate ruling class will do anything in their power to maintain their position over of control over the masses, even if this means sacrificing one of their own. That's oh. the way she felt. Of course, her family was convinced these tape recordings were all bogus, you know, April Fool's Day, right? Her oh. mother thought she was dead. And then after telling the press that, they got on a plane to Mexico to go stay with Desi Arnaz and kind of cool out. So all these things, she, she accepted another appointment of the Board of Regents of the University of California where Patty was a student mm -hmm. under Ronald Reagan. I mean, that just really upset her. You know, the family was not doing the kinds of things she felt they should be doing to convince the SLA, the kidnappers, to take, take them seriously and her seriously. Mm -hmm. Every time they would put down and claim she was being brainwashed, the SLA would just you know, they did a bank robbery, anything they could do to, to prove that she was, you know, she'd become a revolutionary under the name of Tanya, by the way. Yeah. I, I, I remember the pictures of her. She's in the bank holding the gun and she looks like a revolutionary. She got the little thing there. So now this book here is billed as a true crime novel, searching for Patty Hearst. Well, is this a is this part of a true story, or is this a novel where you've spun it on fiction, or how does this book lay out? Well, all the things we've been talking about so far, Chris, mm -hmm. the events that actually happened are in the book. Okay. But the problem is that we don't have clarity about. Uh, for example, I in the book I have the Bill Harris interview, mm -hmm. his side of the story, and there's a lot from Patty's side and so on. But there are many, many people, I mean, imagine there were thousands of FBI agents working on this case. There were judges, lawyers, prosecutors, F. Lee Bailey, and they all had their side of the story. Just mm -hmm. to give you one example, this is actually a true story. When F. Lee Bailey, who at the time was probably the most famous criminal attorney in the country, as I mentioned, he defended the Boston Strangler. And in fact, the Boston Strangler psychiatrist was flown in from, from Boston to, to analyze Patty Hearst. That's... And he insisted as part of his fee, fee deal that he was going to get the first rights to write the definitive book on the case. Mm -hmm. And Patty would hold up anything she wrote for 18 months while, while they were defending her, they're already working, cutting, cutting up the, the publishing rights to the book. Right. Of course, what happened was he lost the case and his big publishing contract fell apart. So that's just oh, one man. example of how people were playing this thing. So in the book, I give everybody a chance to tell their side of the story. Mm -hmm. And of course, because none of us were there at the time, and many of these people are no longer with us, this is an opportunity for the reader to decide, essentially what you do every day on your show. Let the reader decide. And one thing I would say about your show is that you do a great job of never just taking one person's word for it. When you have guests on, they present the other side, and you let your audience decide. One of the reasons you have a, a, a very successful podcast is that you're encouraging people when they listen to somebody like me to not just take the the guest's word for it, but to do their own homework. And that's a great thing for younger people. 
Never mm-hmm. just get different vantage points. And, and the, mm-hmm. the point of the book is we have situations in this book, literally, where two people were in the same room at the same moment, in this case for months, mm-hmm. and they have completely different versions of what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another example would be Steve Weed, who we've talked about, mm-hmm. where he was telling me, quote, the truth. I, he lived in the Hearst house while they were searching for Patty, right? Uh-huh. He was telling me about the swamis, and he went, he had, dr- he, he got drunk with Patty's dad and all these stories. Some of them were very funny. The publisher was just loving it. You know, yeah. all this really gritty, you know, nuts, you know, you know, all, all the, the fine details, the eyewitness accounts. There were other people in the room, like Patty's mother and, and his father, who thought Steve was a complete jerk. You know, they hated him. Uh, they, uh, his, her dad even said he, he really needs to be housebroken. You know, they, they finally just picked him out. You know? So I had, a, I had a little bit of experience with him telling me all this stuff, and then he's deciding, no, he doesn't want to tell it. So this book is an attempt to present all sides of the story and then let the reader decide on their own what they think really happened. I like that. I like that approach. And then I, I imagine by calling it a novel, it kind of absolves you of, you know, any sort of lawsuits or accusations, I guess. Well, it's really interesting. I, I just want to use this one example, Chris, because you talk mm-hmm. about the difference between fiction and nonfiction. Mm-hmm. So here's an interesting story. So Patty wrote a book, 400-page book, in which she asserts a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Many people have disputed. I'll give you one example. Jack Scott, who was running something called the Institute for Sports and Society, with his parents, drove Patty cross-country. At pretending to be married to her with the parents being her in-laws, right? Mm-hmm. And he basically saved, really saved her life, got her to the Poconos. They were writing a book together and then, you know, got her back to California. I mean, he basically saved her life. When he read her book, he sued her for $7 million. <laughs> I mean, he was literally in the room. So here's another example. Paul Schrader, who's a very famous film director, did the film version of Patty's book, right? Uh-huh. He changed the ending. He fictionalized the ending. And Patty was really upset by this. Mm-hmm. But Paul's the director. He owned the rights, so he got to change it. So there's this very fine line between fiction and nonfiction in the story. And I think one of the problems with Steve, Steve's book and, and many of the books is you're only getting one person's side of the story. Mm-hmm. Do you do you do you do you do you, do you suss out the stuff that Mr. Weed didn't want in the book, like all of his? Oh uh, yeah, I mean it's all all sorts of information. Uh, so this book sounds like rich with all sorts of great stuff and stories. And, yeah, I mean I didn't use the earlier book. I wouldn't yeah, do that. Yeah, but the information, of course, I did my own reporting too. Yeah, Bill Harris, for example, and don't forget Dr. Thomas Naguchi, who actually autopsied the six victims of the SLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a long interview with him and mm-hmm. he had, he was extremely angry at the LAPD. Mm-hmm. Basically they, they immolated these victims and it made it, made his job extremely difficult. And guess what? When they opened fire on that house in LA, nobody knew if Patty Hearst was in that building or not. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Nope. That's and crazy. so that was another reason why Patty was really frightened about mm turning herself in and that's part of the reason she lost her case you know it's very clear from the case that you know there'd never been a kidnapped victim who stood there and literally saved the life of her kidnapper who was being tackled by security guards at a sporting goods store in inglewood i mean she could have just let him hang 
and turned the key in the ignition and driven off to Escaped, the nearest police yeah. station. That's now. what I would have done. I'd right. Have been like, Here's what happened in the case. She got convicted of bank robbery. Mm-hmm. Right? Normal sentence is 10 to 12 years. Mm-hmm. The judge was a family friend, actually. <laughs> he had met Patty as a little girl. And he, he gave her seven years. Mm-hmm. Then she went down to Los Angeles and pled no contest in the kidnapping of Tom Matthews. And that was where she became very close to Tom. And Tom said, you know, because she'd been kidnapped, she kind of understood what it felt like. And she was really sweet to me. She kept leaning down and touching my, you know, rubbing my back. She gave me a big kiss when they let her go the next day. So she, she pled no contest in that case. And mm-hmm. the prosecutor, Samuel Myerson, in that case, actually went to the judge and said, she's already in jail for bank robbery. I think we'll just, you know, let, let's just suspend the sentence. Okay. But wow. here's the most interesting one of all. So this woman who died in the Sacramento bank robbery, Patty, Patty now was not in the bank when this happened. Mm-hmm. It's actually Bill Harris's wife, Emily, who shot, shot her accidentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was finally a, a criminal case brought against five of the SLA members. Patty was not never indicted, even though she drove the getaway car. But more to the point, there was a civil case brought by the family of this woman, mm-hmm. and it was settled out of court for $300,000 by the defendants, including Patty. And oh. Patty's dad, Randy, wrote a check on that one um, mm-hmm. as part of the settlement. Wow. So she ended up spending about 22 months in federal prison before President Jimmy Carter commuted her sentence. And by the way, one of the people who campaigned for her re- early release was Cesar Chavez. And Steve told me that when they were together, Patty would happily walked through United Farmworker picket lines, Cesar Chavez's union, and 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 cursed the, the miserable effing migrants. So she was by no means a leftist when she was kidnapped. Wow. I mean, th- it's such a crazy story. I was just a kid at the time, and I just have a vague memory of it. But I remember, I remember how insane it was. And so you've been collecting all this stuff for 50 years now as of today. Is it as of today? Is the 50th? February 4th is the 50th anniversary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you've been collecting all this stuff. What has it like been following this story for 50 years and, and just being on, the, on, on, on top of it? You'll be surprised, Chris. But if you go to pattyhurst.com, which mm-hmm. is our website that has a timeline of the entire story, all the things we've been covering today. So for someone who's new to the mm-hmm. story, pattyhurst.com has the story behind searching for Patty Hearst. Oh. Uh, one of the most asked questions is, is Patty Hearst still alive? And the answer is absolutely. She lives in New York. She, her dogs win shows at, uh, win first prize at kennel clubs. She's gone on to become a you know very successful. She's a philanthropist. Uh, mm-hmm. She's a very proud mom and granddaughter. One of her daughters is an actress and she played Abigail Folger, one of the victims in the Manson murders. Oh, wow. So there's an acting group in the family. She's shown up at San Simeon to autograph mm-hmm. her book. Uh, she's been in con, you know, with her movie. So Patty has a very strong presence uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a, basically as a, do- a dog breeder, philanthropist, and actress. There you go. So has she given any feedback, any endorsement to the book, or is she trying to put this whole part of her life behind her? The latter, and I think she's done a pretty good job of it. Mm-hmm. She was very front and center doing the Playboy interview, inter- you know, all over Derry King, all every show you can imagine. 
Mm -hmm. uh, when her when her book and movie came out, she was very visible. But mm -hmm. she's really retreated since then and has not really really been front and center since then. She has been involved in the AIDS you know movement. She's given mm -hmm. money to causes the women's movement. She's she's spoken out about the mm -hmm. Me Too movement. So she's definitely made herself known uh, mm -hmm. in the New York area, obviously, where she lives. There you go. Note to self, never kidnap crazy rich women. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so uh, it sounds like just a wild story. It sounds like something that could be a movie, actually. Any any opportunities you think there may be a movie well, on the horizon? I'm so glad you asked because I am a film producer. Yeah. And I produce three feature films. The most recent one is called Coming Up for Air. It's a mental health mm -hmm. problem, believe it or not. And so I've worked with a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists in the various events we do all over the country. Mm -hmm. And th the answer to the question is that I think there's at this point in time of the 50 or later perspective, yes, it would be very, you know, kind of looking back on the era 50 mm -hmm. years later. And to me, by far the most interesting part of the story, and, and we talk about this in Searching for Patty Hearst, is her fling with Willie Wolf. You know, she eulogized these six victims, fallen SLA victims, and she said she called Willie Walt the sweetest, loveliest, you know, the sweetest, gentlest man I've ever known. Think about that for a minute. You know, what was their relationship like? I mean, talk about catnip for a film producer. Yeah. You know, she basically decides not to go back to her fiance, not to go back to her family. She's fallen in love with this kidnapper, and then suddenly he's gone. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a, it would be a wonderful narrative. And I think yeah. in, in fairness to Patty, it never crossed her mind that, you know, with class privilege that her mm -hmm. family would, would not just write the check. <laughs> it, it just, it just never occurred to her that they wouldn't just literally show up, you know, and drop the money. But, but it, it got even more ridiculous. Oh. They, they were, they ended up, the family got involved, not just the her parents and, why did they do it? They were afraid that the Hearst Empire, once they bribed them once, they were going to come back and hit them again. Guess what happened? Uh, During the trial, these a, a group called the New World Liberation Front, not the SLA, mm -hmm. not the, the Symbionese Liberation Army was not, you know, the, the instigator of this. Mm -hmm. They bombed San Simeon, the Casa de Sol guest house, which is where the Hearst family hung out when they visited. Oh, wow. These were not idle concerns. Yeah. There was a real concern that there could be future action against um, the, this company because they're yeah. highly visible. If you pay terrorists, you'll right. just get more terrorists. And we've seen that kind of thing. There was a bombing, yeah. you know, there was a, sh a, a terrorist, there was a, a, a shooting at a sh paper in Baltimore more mm -hmm. recently mm -hmm. where five people were killed. So they just felt incredibly vulnerable. And, and their idea was the FBI, well, We'll get them. I mean, this this hunt was almost as big as the hunt for Jimmy Hoffa. In fact, they hadn't found Jimmy Hoffa yet. So now they were really on the hot seat. So they had, you know, thousands mm -hmm. of agents working this case. Mm. And just for an update, they never did. <laughs> no, they never <laughs> did. No. Yeah. Uh, and that was, you know, when they go in for funding, they talk about all the success stories. That was, that was a oh, tough time for them. That was, yeah. It was a, it was a wild time. I mean, you had so many, you know, like you, I think you mentioned the strangler, the, the hillside strangler. I remember when he was running around 
And I mean, it was just, it was just a crazy yes time. And then you had Nixon, uh, tricky dick. So there you go. So the, I, I don't know if you're married still. Does, did, you, did your wife over 50 years somewhere get no, we, you we, we focused were divorced on her? years later and I, I remarried. Did she ever get tired of you focusing on Patty Hearst? Like, what's going on? Yeah, this weird obsession with this other woman. Yeah, basically, the, our time together with Steve, where we were feeding him, of course, and he, yeah. he was living with us and so forth. You know, when we look back on it, it was it was a very difficult time for both of us. Yeah, especially when we asked him to leave, and uh, he came back a few days later and asked if he could move back in, but it was, just wasn't working out. Yeah, so, especially when he's stealing your book, eh? Yeah, so he was he was unhappy that we we asked him to leave because it was just you know he he would get up at noon and and go out late at night and hang out yeah. with his friends and sounds like a I weed was trying professor. to meet a deadline and he'd be sitting out in the backyard. Yeah, sounds like a weed professor for sure. Yeah, I don't think things have changed at Berkeley. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm getting sued now. So, what do you hope people come away from when they read your book? Give us the final pitch out on people to pick up your book and order it wherever fine books are sold. This is the greatest kidnapping story in American history, mm -hmm. and it's inspired even authors like Stephen King to fictionalize various aspects of, of the story. But I think in fairness to the story itself and to your audience, the, the great thing about the Patty Hearst case, and, and if I may say about searching for Patty Hearst, is the open ending. There's so much we still don't know about mm -hmm. this case, and I think in the book, and to a certain extent on the website, we ask all the unanswered questions. And what makes this so interesting is the cast of characters. We've talked a lot about the, the lead characters, but there's so many other people. The Tom Matthews story. I mean, can you imagine this 17-year-old kid? He basically said after it was over, he had a great night. He, he loved meeting Patty. <laughs> he got a kiss you out know, of I mean, uh, Patty. You know, you talk about the, the family members, you know, who were, yeah. who were trying to help. Obviously, her parents. Her mm. mother is, is absolutely a fascinating character she, she would really? take her uh, steve told me this they would go back to her home in atlanta and they'd be walking around atlanta showing her the sites and her mother who was a regent at the university of california was using the n-word left and right you know it's just just a fascinating family you know a, kind mm -hmm. of an amalgam of and then of course her dad's newspaper one of my favorite patty lines is to her dad saying, you know, dad, nobody under 80 reads the San Francisco. <laughs> I don't think that's changed. Yeah. So they really did have a sense of humor. And frankly, Steve, Weed did me a favor because, um, I got an inside look. I mean, guess what? He lived with her for three years. He was living with her family. So he talked a lot about the swamis that were Catherine Hirsch didn't think the FBI knew what they were doing. So she called in swamis. They had swami one, swami two, swami three, giving them advice, living in the house, you know, sitting out by the pool. Wow. So it's, it's really a wonderful look at what happens to a incredibly influential family when their daughter just decides she's had enough of being a Hearst. Wow. And, and, uh, you know, that, I, that would, that would happen with me if I ever got kidnapped. Like if I went to Mexico and I got kidnapped, they'd call them for the ransom. My parents would be like, you'll actually have to pay us to take him back. So wait a minute. I, I'm, I'm sitting here being kidnapped victim in a closet. Willie Wolf is, she was blindfolded. So Willa Wolf is reading her <laughs> Marx's books about dialectical materialism 
Uh, they're off at Desi Arnaz's house in Mexico. <laughs> I mean, what? And by fun. the way, on, on, as they got on the plane to go to Mexico, you know, as they're leaving the house to go, to go to Mexico, her mother is saying, you know, I think Patty's dead. Well, wow. I mean, hey. <laughs> so so she was a little upset by these public statements. Wow. That is crazy, man. So everyone can delve into it in your latest book. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs. Searching for Patty Hearst's website is pattyhurst.com. And for those who are new to Patty Hearst, the timeline is a great way, the great introduction to the story. It gives a good overview. And I'd like to add this one thought about your show. I think we've been pretty careful today to make it clear that there are many points of view on this story. And I think that's the great thing about your podcast is that you encourage people to do their own homework Mm -hmm. and get different points of view. And that's what I love about your show. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the, the, the comment there. And, and, and that's the great thing about your book. They're going to get so many of those diverse sort of aspects and uh, you be the judge as they say on TV. Right. So thank you very much, Roger, for coming on the show and sharing the story with us. Thanks, Chris. It's been great to be here. Thank you. Great to have you as well. Congratulations on the new book, Searching for Patty Hearst, a true crime novel out January 16th today, 2024. You can catch up on all the latest stuff and watch for probably more news or maybe some film coming from from Roger as well. So you can check that out. Thanks so much for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, Chris Foss 1, the TikTok, the Chris Foss, Facebook.com, and Chris Foss on YouTube. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. As always, be good to each other, stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.